I'm going to be teaching today in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. A couple of things I want to celebrate with you here. Uh, last week we had a guest, somebody who's been telling me they're going to come for a long time, a significant spiritual leader in our area, and uh, I was really glad to have him here, but before they sat down, they wanted me to know that they have visited many churches in this area and have never felt welcome. They felt welcome here. <laughs> your friendliness legacy continues. Glory to God that your loving people matters, okay? Thank God for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, last week I was talking about uh, the tremendous outpouring of people who God is calling out to be a part of the work of the ministry. We typically call them volunteers. But volunteers, you know, volunteers are at Rocky Mountain National Park. There's a difference between people who are being called out or kingdom business and volunteers, right? Yeah. And, and it had nothing to do with what I said last week, because these people were prompted to respond before I said anything. But our Touch Church, Touch Church director, uh, wanted me to know that two new folks that said they want to help with Touch Church. Is that cool? Yeah, we got for that. Keep glory God for this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm told that in the Tashers, they would like three more people to feel called out for that ministry in order to uh, do the best job they can in sharing that load and bring people up and empowering people as well. So that's way awesome. And then, uh, Today, you know, here we have these icy conditions and, and this kind of an unusual snow. I want you to know that the young dad uh, who drove our truck this morning is commuting to church from Loveland right now. Okay, and he was here to drive that truck today. And I say, glory to God for that kind of commitment to God's kingdom business. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, good glory to God for that one, too. Now, as we move forward in, in this new posture that we find ourselves in and rebuilding the staff and our team, there are five areas. If you are one of my uh, intercessors, there's a special letter that you get from me that you have to ask to be on that intercessor team if you're willing to pray for me regularly. And this is going to be in that next letter that's, that's coming out. But there are five areas that I'm praying about as we move forward as to how God will fill these. I'm not saying these are full-time positions, if anything, they're part-time, but even volunteer positions in, in some cases. But these are the five things that are on my heart right now. I just want to share them with you so you can be praying about them. And if you want to write them down, uh, one is worship. Okay. Two is kids. Three would be youth. So we have worship, kids, youth, fourth, administration, and God knows I need help with administration, okay? Because there are essentially five things that God is calling me to do at this beautiful adventure in life. I don't know if I can say them right after, but I'll try. Prayer, teaching the word, loving people, uh, equipping uh, believers, and casting vision. Okay, I didn't give you a chance to write those down, but you can get those from me later. But doing these five worship, kids, youth, administration, because I want to be about prayer, teaching the word, 
loving people, casting vision, and equipping believers. All right, that's what God is leading me to do. And then finally, is connections because we need people to be spurring one another on outside of what happens on Sunday morning. Mornings. And what's grateful today, you notice the prayer sign is not here; it's up there. Okay. Now we're going to get another prayer sign for over here. Okay, because our prayer team is doing call to expand the ministry of prayer, so they will be down here to pray, even though the sign's not here. But there will also be some prayer partners up there to pray with you, and that way it gives you an easier chance to access them and hopefully be more being available to that. Isn't that cool? And that, that doesn't come from me. That comes from the heart of our hearts of our prayer warriors because God is calling people out, and they know that what they're doing matters just as the part that you play really matters in kingdom business. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you get those. Worship kids, youth, administration, and connections, not necessarily in that order, I'm just seeking God and appreciate your, your caring. Now, I am told that if you're looking for a place of ministry and God's prompting you, that maybe this is an additional prompting that right now uh, help is needed in the Tatsa area. You mentioned that anymore. Meals to encourage. It's amazing how people watch our prayer requests and if they see an opportunity to deliver meals to people, they do that automatically, unbelievable. <laughs> Set up and tear down, uh, could use your help, as well as the youth ministry. But I'm just amazed at how God has called people out in the youth ministry and how that ministry is. Uh, it looks like we're building a bridge to the future. I'm trusting God with that. Maybe you would be a part of that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, you got it. It's a privilege to serve with you in kingdom business. Let's prepare our hearts to get into Daniel chapter 3. Cast your cares on the Lord, knowing that he cares for you. Just give the people the stuff that you're concerned about. Thank you. We need wisdom in these days. Provide when necessary. Give victory when necessary. Thank you that we're gathered here in this way. Thank you for this body. That is the body of your people. We are part of your kingdom. Speak, Lord, through your word. Equip us through your kingdom. Thank you, Christ. My personal goal for today is to my desire to more fully become a servant of all. Servant of God, servant of others. He served me, he laid down his life for me. I want to know what it is to serve. I don't want a God that I can control. I want the Lord God who is in control. What good is a God that I can control when I seem to have a way of really messing things up? <laughs> Let God be in control. I need the Lord God who operates out of all wisdom. He always gets, gets it right. He, he never misses it. 
with a genie in the bottle, you know, I get to be in control. I get to tell that genie what to do. I get to tell him my wishes, and he makes my wishes become reality. But there's a major problem. Genies don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist. I mean, you go purchase a genie lamp. It might feed your imaginations. It might feed your, your fantasies. But bottom line, it sits there on a shelf, nothing more than an idle knickknack. Can't do anything with it. A man was walking along one day when he came across a dusty old lamp, started dusting it off, and out popped this genie. And the genie, you know, says, uh, okay, you released me from the bottle, blah, blah, blah. This is the fourth time this month. I'm getting tired of all these wishes. So you don't get three wishes today. You just get one wish. And the man thought a moment and he said, well, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm scared to death and, and I get seasick. So I wish you would build me a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive there. And the genie said, he just laughed and said, that's impossible. Think about the logistics of it. How would it ever survive adverse conditions? How, how would we ever get that much concrete? How would we ever get that much steel? you got to think of another wish. And the man said, okay, well, I don't do well in relationships. I wish I could understand women. <laughs> and the genie said, did you want that bridge to be two lanes or four? <laughs> As we come to Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, is the most powerful man of his day. He can pretty much have anything he desires. He has idols, genies in a bottle, galore, false gods. The bottom line these false gods never came through for anyone in any kind of a practical way. Now, if you contrast that with what he's witnessed in the life of Daniel and, and Daniel's friends, he's seen the living God coming through. Surrender to God. These men have been truly blessed. He's witnessed it. So having seen it for himself, he's promoted them to the highest positions in his kingdom. He's given glory to God. Uh, that Daniel could interpret, not only interpret his dream, but also tell him what that dream was in the first place without anyone ever having said to him about that dream. He gave glory to God when he saw Daniel's friends delivered from the fiery furnace. Unfortunately, though he's seen God do great miracles and though he has given praise to God, he is still carrying around these tiny little false gods, these false idols. He still hasn't fully grasped the Lord God. He still hasn't fully surrendered his life to the Lord God. And if God is truly God, then shouldn't he be the king, even the king of kings? Interesting. So just an application right here as we get ready to approach the text. How about you? Have you witnessed evidence of evidence of God in your own life or in the life of, of someone else? Have you praised God, even given God glory? Do you know Him? Have you bowed before Him, surrendering your life to Him, allowing Him to have His proper place on the throne of your existence, on the throne of your life? If He is God, then shouldn't He be King? 
So today, Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. It's, it's a dream that, that offers lessons that are better learned in the classroom than they are learned in the school of hard knocks. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get it in the classroom. Thus it becomes his undoing. But praise God because of his great patience and great kindness and great uh, uh, love. It proves to be Nebuchadnezzar's renewing. So today we see a prideful king reduced to less than nothing, only there to discover everything. This problem is arrogance. Okay? It's repeated again and again throughout the text, maybe five times or more. In fact, in verse 7, 17 is expressed most clearly, it's expressed to all of us. Okay? Then verse, verses 25 and 32 is specific to the king. And then by the time we get to verses 34 and 37, it's realized. And here's the statement, the gist of the statement. God is sovereign. God is over all, and everything we have, whether it be positions or stuff, it's all a gift from him. Notice as we begin that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is the author of this part of Daniel's book. It's a king's proclamation. Every chapter in our study so far, Nebuchadnezzar has been king of Babylon, mighty king. Today is the end of that. Next week we meet a new king. Okay, so here we go. This is Daniel chapter 4. A king's nightmare, starting with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is eternal, is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. So notice right here, Nebuchadnezzar is giving glory to God. But I also want you to notice that this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony of a great work that God has done in Nebuchadnezzar's life. What happened? Right? This is a mighty emperor. This is the guy who is unparalleled in his day. This is the king who had no trouble chopping people to bits. This is the king who overpowered God's people and carried articles from the Lord God's temple away and locked them up into a storage facility for his own false gods. This is that guy. What happened? What happened here? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is discovering God is overall, even himself, that God is in control of all people, of all kingdoms, even Nebuchadnezzar. A great king, or anyone else for that matter, who at last will surrender to the Lord God, is a person who has discovered the purpose of their existence and the platform for which God can use them to make a significant difference with their lives and in their lifetime. God is in control. Going on, verse 4. I Nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, 
I had a dream that made me afraid. How does a mighty king go from being contented to prosperous to afraid? Okay, here it is. As I was laying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So here he calls on Daniel only after he calls on his magicians and enchanters. Go figure, Daniel has always been the one who's come through for him. He keeps calling these false guys. Verse 9, I said, Belshazzar, Daniel, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked in there before me, stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The, the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was, read those last three words there, food for all. Source for everyone's need is in this tree. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Verse 13. In the vision I saw, while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger. This is an angel on special assignment. Just notice right here, it's singular. It's one angel, okay, messenger. Coming down from heaven, he called a loud voice. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under under it and, its, and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Now notice it becomes a, the tree becomes a person. Look at this. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let it be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. Notice it's plural, added support here. Right? The holy ones declare the verdict. And here's the key to the whole chapter right here. So that the living all the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone who wishes and sets over them the lowliest people. Hmm. Interesting. Who has dominion over all? Who has power over all? Even the kingdoms? Even people like Nebuchadnezzar? God does. Right? Who should serve? All of us should serve. The people in the highest positions have the greatest responsibility of serving those in the lowest positions. A great irony in the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness. The higher you rise in life, the more that's bestowed upon you, the greater your capacity of meeting the needs of others around. Ooh, that's yourself sending chills down your spine. Verse 18. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Interesting that he still talks about these false gods in this statement, but he's telling the story. So now Daniel interprets the nightmare. We're going to carry on. Verse 19. 
Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him, so the king so, so the, the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Daniel immediately says, Oh king, I wish this dream wasn't about you, but about your enemies. Some say he's being diplomatic there. I think he genuinely cared about this king. He genuinely loved this pagan king and wanted this king to know his God in a vital and living way. I hope we have that same heart for others around us. And I also wonder if the reason those other guys didn't interpret the dream is because they didn't want to tell this king bad news. Just a thought. Verse 22. Look at Daniel's words here. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, probably seven years, will pass by for you. And here's that key again. Notice it's abbreviated. It was specifically key. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. <laughs> God gave us the king. He didn't get anything deserve it. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge, and here's the key, really short, that heaven rules. Heaven rules, not you. Heaven rules over you. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins, by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may be then that then your prosperity will continue. All right, story carries on. Verse 28, this is the nightmare becoming reality. Here's how it plays out. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. How? Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? You see how we get to get it in the classroom, right? So now he's going to get it in the school of hard knocks. Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. Hmm. So as, as I stated earlier, the message here is, is quite simple. God is sovereign. God is overall. Everything we have, whether it be positions or stuff, it's all from God. It, it's interesting how this points back to the Tower of Babel. If you remember, I suggest to you that Nebuchadnezzar represents a philosophy of life, a mentality right here that stems from the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Right? At the Tower of Babel, they said, 
let us build the tower that reaches to the heavens, right? At the Tower of Babel, they said, let us build this amazing city and this amazing tower in order that we might build a name for ourselves, create a name for ourselves. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Represented by a tree that reaches to the heavens. It's all about his glory and him making a name for himself. And much like the story of Babel, God comes down and disrupts Nebuchadnezzar's plan because he has a greater purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. What's the problem? The problem is pride. The problem is arrogance. The problem is I, me, myself, and I. Right? Yeah. Now, just remember, Nebuchadnezzar is writing this. At the time he's writing it, I think he's actually learned the lesson, and now he's speaking to any one of us who will hear what he learned the hard way, so he becomes a messenger for us all. It's like he's saying, let me save you from some grief. Let, let me teach you what I learned in order that you might avoid the pain that I lived through. Please know that no matter how powerful or successful or whatever you become or not, God alone is over all and everything we have, whether position or stuff, is from Him. Oh, we need to say it, see that. Because to whatever degree we're holding on to it, claiming for ourselves and saying, look what I've done, we're seeing ourselves in that. But God is really patient with the king. He's given him fair warning. He's given him opportunity after opportunity. And then he gives him this shocking dream. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quite get it. And a year later, here he is. This is all about my power. This is all about the majesty of my glory. And history tells us that, that it's true that Babylon. Is one of the most spectacular places that man has ever created. Famous for its fame, for its cane gardens, which still today are considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Nebuchadnezzar looks at it all and he says, To me be the glory, great things I have done. And I see, I see two warning signs here, two, two prideful signs that perhaps. The spirit of Babylon is influencing us. And I want to point them out because they're in Daniel's interpretation. They're very practical. They're very valuable. Okay? But they are, number one, little regard for the poor. Little regard for the poor. I mean, before Nebuchadnezzar ever shared the dream, he tells us how he's sitting at home, content and prosperous. He didn't care about anyone else. The only thing that really mattered was his own comfort and his own security. And this dream comes, it rattles his world. This tremendous tree shows him that he has the needs to meet every need in the world, in every, every situation, that he can address it by what he has. So Daniel says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the poor. Repent, King. Turn around. Get past yourself. This, this kind to the oppressed literally means to show favor, to be gracious toward, or to show pity for the poor. What's the premise? What's the premise of all of this? Well, it goes right back to the main theme of today. To realize the Most High is sovereign over all and everything we have, whether position or stuff, 
has been given to us by him to share with others, to serve others, to put ourselves below others, to humble ourselves, to become Christ to others. You know, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, the poor you will always have with you. And, and, and here's people on a mission. Okay, let's end poverty. We just do more taxation. We can end poverty. But poverty never goes away, no matter how high, how high taxes get, right? I mean, all through Scripture, it tells us to meet the needs of the poor, but it doesn't say to let the government mandate it. It says by our response to the poor. And it's as if what God is saying, and I believe this is very true, that God has given us the poor, and he's given us others who are not poor, in order that God might be glorified as we humble ourselves and give away ourselves to others. That's the message that's going on. It's like Daniel's highlighting what God is saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, saying, look around. The world's bigger than you. Be kind to others. It's not about your personal comfort and your personal security. Wow. You see that? Can you see that there? Yeah. Start coming alive in you. God wants to use you to live bigger than yourself and to make a difference in the life of others. Yeah, there's a second thing that I see here. Right? We may be influenced by Babylon if we can't see our own poverty of spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. What does it mean? Well, what it means is to ask yourself the question, to come to a place of realizing, where would I be without God? It's the basis of all gratitude. Marie Barnett in the Psalm 3 expressed it beautifully when she says to God, you are the air I breathe. Remember that song? Michael W. Smith did that song. We love to sing it. And then she says, I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. We can even add, I'm poor without you. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't care. I mean, he couldn't see his own poverty. So 12 months later, he's declaring with pride, the great Babylon I built for my glory and for my majesty. And then we come to verse 31, and a mighty king has temporarily lost his mind. He did. He's lost his mind. He's lost his kingdom. He's out in the field, crawling around like an ox. <coughs> Yeah, yeah. Valerie was telling me that her mom read the story to her when she was a little girl. And she just got the image of this great king crawling around in the field like an ox. Can you get any lower than that? Any humbler than that? What is what God's saying here is I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And then the whole thing comes to this great conclusion at the very end of the chapter where I think Nebuchadnezzar actually gets it in verse 37 where he says, and those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. The great king Nebuchadnezzar, reduced to an ox, eating grass in a field, showing everyone who will see that God truly is in and here we are. We're always trying to raise ourselves, prove our positions. Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be exalted, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, so that in God's economy, the way up is down, and the way down is up. But there's good news. 
The good news is God is patient. He goes to huge extremes to let us know that he is king and his patience is always geared toward our repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 That he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Wow. Think about this. Has God been patient with you? Has he? How so? Are there things you're still holding on to? Is it still about your personal security and your personal comfort? How might God use you to show his kindness to somebody else? Notice in verse 23 when the angel was commanded that the tree be reduced to nothing but a stump. You see that? It also commands there that it be protected with bronze and iron, right? And what he's saying right there is that while the tree is being cut severely, while it's being cut down to size, it's not the end of the tree. The tree will not be destroyed. God has every intention of that tree coming back to life. He does. Yeah. I grew up in Tucson. Tucson, Arizona. The land of cactus and scorpions. That's why I'm such a tough guy. <laughs> in Tucson, we had hedges. I can think of two yards that that uh, house that I live in. Both had hedges. Why would anybody grow hedges in Tucson? Right? They, they don't work. I mean, they're not indigenous species to the climate. Well, they grow hedges in Tucson, so little boys will have chores to do. <laughs> Cut the hedges. So one day when I was a teenager, somebody tipped me off that our hedges were really old. And the best thing for our hedges would be to cut them down to the stumps. I really like that idea. <laughs> I cut our hedges down to the stumps. My mom must have thought I was trying to get out of the door. What are you doing? Are you out of your mind? But seasons come and go. We kept caring for those stumps. And sure enough, new growth came forth with greater beauty and fullness than ever before. King Nebuchadnezzar has been reduced to a stump because God had greater purposes in him. And God in heaven will not hesitate to reduce you to a stump if he can bring forth greater foliage and greater fruitfulness from your life. It may be painful, it may even feel like death, but what you need to hear is he's got a plan, he will protect it in the process so that when at last we are surrendered to him. We'll come forth with new life and greater fruitfulness than ever. This is what this is all about. And so here's some more questions. Are you in a pruning season in life right now? Do you feel cut down to the stump? Are you not sure what the future has for you? Please know that during the time of pruning, though it feels like death, it is not the end of you. 
In fact, it's a demonstration of God's love. He says in his word, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He turns the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. What's he teaching? He's teaching us that he's overall in everything we have, whether positions or stuff, is a gift from him, and this is the posture from which he can bless us. So watch the rest of the story. Back to our text, verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Look up to God. That's the path of rejuvenation, of revitalization. That's the path of restoration, right? At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is the eternal dominion. Mine's not. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the time, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne. And look at this, you see it here? And became even greater than before. What's the purpose of pruning? Greater fruitfulness. You see this? It's happening in this king's life. Now I Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt, and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Wow! A powerful pagan king found his proper position at the feet of God. If God can get a hold of him, there's no one outside of God's reach. The goal of cutting the goal of cutting isn't to kill, but to allow for new growth, to allow for new beauty, to allow for new fruitfulness in God's economy. The way up is down, and the way down is up. <laughs> the Bible says this. This is First Peter 5. All of you, all of you, every one of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Clothe yourself in humility. Yeah, just like you got dressed today, right? In order to get dressed, you got to take something off. Take off pride. Put on humility. And this is why, as I wrote this, I wrote this mission for myself, that I will make it my purpose to lift up God and to lift up others. And I just wonder if I practice it long enough, it couldn't possibly become a force of habit for me. On a mission to lift up. Not myself, but those who are given to me, God and others. It's amazing the extremes that God will go to to show anyone who will hear 
that he really is in control. He's got a question. How do you hear it? And the results are amazing. I do pray for someone this week who had a cut that wouldn't feel it had to be recut in order that it might have the opportunity to reduce what it's supposed to. Yeah. I think about somebody else who's in the room whose dad broke bones in a foreign land that weren't properly set. And so the doctors had to re-break the bones in order that they might come back with greater strength. If you're in a time of pain, God knows what he's doing. And he's not praying. Thank you. Next week, the handwriting is on the wall. <laughs> oh, this is exciting. Let's pray. God, it's easy to point and never get it and say, I'm glad I'm not like that old king. The Lord, we are. In fact, there might be someone in the room today who the idea of crawling around like an ox on all fours eating grass sounds exactly like where they're at right now. And it's not about some kind of mental condition or some kind of diagnosis. It's about us discovering who you are and giving you proper place in our lives. Forgive us, Lord. We pride. Because pride usurps the power that you alone can We confess to you, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord. Teach us what it means. In whatever position we find ourselves in the moment, to serve even the Lord's among us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.